Jessica is an internationally published researcher and social worker with experience and expertise in NGO management, early childhood development, and social work services. She is the founder and host of the podcast Relate Your Research, an online platform for social workers and researchers to share their unique experiences and create innovative dialogue. She has a Bachelor of Social Work from Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University, which she completed it cum laude, and a Master's in Social Work from Stellenbosch University, where she also completed it cum laude, and is currently completing her PhD. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Young Professional African Edition with your host, Jonathan Rwanika and Shanil Mudli, equipping you with all the right tools to jumpstart your career in an African context by sharing experiences and spreading the gospel of information. With original music brought to you by Africa's own, Yuniel Badiachi. Hi, Jessica. Uh, thanks for giving us your time today and, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me as an avid listener. It's great <laughs> to be on the other side of, of this podcast for a change. Yeah, no, it's great to be here and looking forward to our conversation today. Okay, so just to kick things off, Jessica, where are you from and where did you grow up? So I'm originally from the Eastern Cape, um, a small coastal town called Port Elizabeth, and I grew up there with my family. Um, I had a, a stint in Stellenbosch when I did my master's, and I'm now staying in Johannesburg. So it's been a, a bit of a wild ride, and it's been interesting to see where life takes you. Um, I think my roots will always be in the Eastern Cape, but it's it's also exciting to to see growth in our country. And so yeah. here I sit in Gauteng. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You, you talk about Stellenbosch. Uh, what did you study there? So I studied my master's in social work. Um, I actually did my undergrad at Nelson Mandela University in PE. And then I did my master's in in social work at Stellenbosch and that was a really exciting opportunity to start to really dig deeper into research. Um, Stellenbosch is an outstanding research facility and they really do prioritize excellence in research so that was an amazing platform for me in terms of my studies and really changed my trajectory from being what I suppose you could consider a regular social worker um, or a social worker maybe that everyone would come to know from the movies or from yeah. newspapers, um, whereas my focus is a lot more into the research um, and implementation of research. No, that's, that's, that's lovely. And, you know, just maybe to, to talk about how you, cho- you chose your career, you know, because at YP Africa, we, we know it's a lot of, uh, you know, people tend to choose careers based on, you know, pressures from parents and uh, just not having enough information about things. What made you to choose uh, an area in social work uh, within that research space? What sort of informed that decision? I think it's an excellent question and something that people should be asking themselves continually is why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, And I feel I've always felt very passionate about contributing to South Africa and what is happening in our country. 
um, strangely enough, my fr- if you say family pressures, my family was quite shocked <laughs> actually that I wanted to study social work because it was no one in my family had ever been a social worker and we didn't really know any social workers. Yeah. Um, many people would say to me, um, why don't you become a psychologist, you know, um, yeah, that's what that's what white girls become, <laughs> and so um, and I, I think it's a I think it's a hard conversation to have, and I bring it up because I know your your show is about bringing these topics really into light. But yeah. I think there is a lot of societal pressure to become what our communities and cultures think we should become. Yeah. Um, yes, and so I love the ideal of what social work stood for in terms of helping. And in some ways, I guess I didn't fully understand everything that a social worker could do, but I knew that they contributed and that was important to me. Yeah. So I went for it. I love the community aspect of it. And I think that speaks to, and for your listeners to really start to think about their own personalities. And if you are a, a person who enjoys numbers and statistics, then then that makes sense. That's a career path that would make sense to you. But for me, my personality was a lot more relational and I connected with people through groups and community projects and that made me feel most alive. And so that was what sparked the, the interest in social work. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a really brilliant answer, Jess. And I think early on the show uh, in season one, we had Wanjiku from Kenya and she was talking about uh, how she chose something that she, she knew she would be good at, you know, that which is sort of like a different way. Uh, you're talking about using like what motivates you. Uh, for you both, uh, why wasn't financial gain a motivation? Uh, is it just like, did you ever consider that or it was money and uh, something that you thought about when you made this decision. No, I mean, I mean you go for the good stuff, hey? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, again, um, also a very relevant question. I think I naively believed that if a person worked hard, they'd get paid well. That is actually not the case. <laughs> um, as I as I have discovered that uh, over the years, um, and some of your listeners are probably laughing because maybe they're also sitting in in sectors that that are under resourced. But yeah. I I chose a sector that is largely under resourced and yeah. in many ways is about finding unique ways of of meeting needs with resources most of the time without finances really and so in some ways there's like a level of creativity to it um but it has forced me to think out the box in order to create a sustainable life um you'll laugh but I actually do get like whatsapps from students and other postgrads and um various colleagues of mine quite often to say how do you how do we do this how do we how do we make money and still do what we are passionate about so it's a it is a continual conversation with a market that's changing and unfortunately in south africa social services and community based work isn't funded as freely as it, as it maybe was or should be um, or as it is in other countries so it has its moments um, but I do believe that 
I would, my personality would struggle in another sector that doesn't fit who I am. Yeah. And Jessica, just from an outsider, I think outside your industry, I think it's important to note what, what a valuable skill you're sort of like forced to learn, you know, the idea of like, how do you make it work financially? Because like as a startup owner now, I know, you know, I'm, we're running a startup YP Africa, you know, and you're like, how, how is this supposed to be sustainable? How are you supposed to monetize is a question that's asked by almost every entrepreneur in the world. You know, and you you sort of like have to do that within your career. And uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I think that's an invaluable skill as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've touched on something really interesting. And I think that maybe links to many professions and many um, people's interests is that transferable skills are vital. In the 21st century, we can't be seeing our skill set as only valuable to one kind of work. But um, being able to see ourselves transferring the skills we have. So as a social worker, I may have communication skills and negotiation skills. I may also be able to write reports and analyze um, data really well. And that those skills are not confined to just social work or just social services. And I think that's really important in a, in a 21st century, in a kind of COVID like situation where all of a sudden people are being asked to rethink what they are doing and why they're doing it. Um, and many people are, are looking for new positions for various reasons to see themselves as transferable and to see their skills as transferable. The yeah. other thing to note on this topic, you bring up entrepreneurship. I think it's vital that the future leaders of our country, the future students are starting to think no matter what industry they're in, business, agriculture, finance, social work, education, I mean, health, that we're thinking entrepreneurially because it matters. And the term social enterprise is a bit of a, a hot topic. It's like a buzzword at the moment. Um, and a social entrepreneur is very much a person who could bridge the business world and the social kind of giving back world um i want to say charitable work but it's not really charitable it's more like social impact you know how do we make our world a better place and still do business and i think social workers are actually perfectly trained to fulfill or to contribute well and partner well to a business model of a startup because they see the problems and the needs and in many ways they're actually great at needs assessments and and finding gaps in the market which yeah. is actually yeah. a business concept if you think about it it is <laughs> it really is no no well many amazing points there uh, jessica uh, thank you for pointing that out and you know maybe just for a student sitting at home you know matric or you know that are thinking about choosing a career uh within research within social work do you mind just painting a picture of, you know, uh, what your career journey has been thus far, you know, so that maybe they can have an idea of what that would actually look like? Sure. I have always had my foot in both camps. Um, while I was practicing in the field, I also was continuing my research journey and my and growing my experience in research. And that was really an, 
um, I mean, it was a, a tough journey in some ways because I was juggling two very different roles, but it's been really helpful because I've been able to grow and hone my research experience while also growing my social work experience. So after I studied, I practiced as um, a trainer and a facilitator in early childhood development. So I worked very much on a community level, um, running parent education programs and whatnot, but very always keeping very close to me this idea that what we're doing should be measured and managed and reflected upon so that we're not just ticking boxes because we need number of parents in seats, but really understanding why some communities there were high attendances and why in other communities there were low attendance. And um, these, I mean, it sounds like small tasks, but if you reflect on an intervention, which could be, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of rands of donor funds, you really do want to be accountable for the funds that are being channeled into communities um, vice versa, communities deserve to have interventions that meet their needs. And without research, without proper monitoring and evaluation, it's actually quite difficult to really gauge whether or not, you know, projects are making an impact or not. So it's been an interesting progression. And the monitoring and evaluation space is actually a career path for for people in almost any sector because everything needs to be monitored and evaluated in a quantifiable form. You know, at the end of the day, businesses want to know stats, donors want to know figures, they want to see return on investment. And so, I mean, I'm talking about a parent program here, but (laughs) actually there's an investment kind of model that goes on behind the work that we do. So what was interesting for me in my career, and I bring up the the research side because I'm now a lot more in a research capacity than I am in a practical implementation capacity. But that's a really interesting kind of shift for, for anyone who sees their work not only as like a practical um thing to do, but also to look at from the outside and and research and development is a growing industry, no matter what career path you pick. So that's been interesting for me. And I have been very privileged to have been a part of some really interesting research projects, some partnerships and collaborative research projects with not only social workers, with dietitians and nurses, with education specialists and so that's been really helpful to broaden my own horizon and to see that research and development is actually like a forward-thinking futures job there there is a future for researchers in South Africa but also globally people are looking for monitoring and evaluation consultants they're looking for um yeah. No, no, I think you brought brought up a fantastic point there. You know, research, when you look at countries like Singapore, I think have been driven by knowledge economies built on research. So th- these are big industries now. Um, for the person at home, what type of person would you recommend to partake in a career in research? 
Good question. <laughs> I think that a researcher needs to be quite systematic in many ways. Um, and so if they enjoy organizing information, whether it's numbers or, you know, feedback forms or um, understanding trends, in some ways, people that are attracted to, to data because research is essentially making sense of data but it doesn't have to be as um, scientific the whole time as, as I'm making it sound because actually research is very human because often we're researching people and that can involve focus groups and interviews it can involve questionnaires and, and hearing people's feedback um, so if you are a person who is curious and inquisitive I think research is a wonderful avenue I think also research has a space for advocacy where if a person feels passionate about a certain field and maybe their personality is is less inclined to be implementing the work but wants to advocate for the work if that makes sense so I I speak very strongly about education all the time, but I could not be a teacher. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> I, have, I have so much respect for, uh, I mean, like a primary school teacher. I have so much respect for um, foundation phase and primary school teachers, like shout out to all of all of you. Listening, um, because there is a very certain personality type that just fits a classroom of a nine-year-old um, whereas my personality actually suits adult education so while I'm still in an education world I would actually rather advocate for young re young education than actually implement it and I think that's an interesting conversation to have because I so often hear students young people youth saying oh I studied this because someone made me or I studied this because there was a bursary or I studied this and I, I, I don't even like it but it doesn't mean that you have to do it um it's again about taking those transferable skills and why not become a researcher about it? It doesn't mean you do it, if that makes sense, do the, do the job. So I think that, um, yeah, it's an interesting world because we are moving into a technological space and we have to be business-minded. We have to look at our careers, not as like A, B, C, D, like it doesn't, it doesn't work linear anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. and I think that's a real challenge for not necessarily millennials, but young people, young people who are struggling to find where they fit in the world, wanting to earn X amount. <laughs> and unfortunately, you actually have to work your way up. It's, you know, it doesn't just magically happen yeah. that you become CEO or that you're a, a manager of a program that that's just not I, I was just I was just thinking right now about the non the linear the non-linear parts that are, are prevalent in the world today you know I think it doesn't help that the degrees we do are, are very linear uh, but w when you're talking about you know making money and stuff like that, you know, I, I was thinking of a very, a great author that I like, Brene Brown. Um, she, she, she's, she's made quite a lot of money from her books and all of that, but she actually started off as a researcher. 
So all yeah, of work, actually a social worker. Let's just put that out there. He's actually a social worker. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just had to had to plug had to plug the profession <laughs> But yes, like, uh, yeah, and her claim to fame came through research. She wasn't, um, she wasn't a practitioner. She was, in in all intensive purposes, she she researched grief and loss. You know, and mm. that's quite amazing. Um, and vulnerability. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's quite incredible to see how she's become. I want to say an overnight success. I mean, she gets flown all over the world to, to not deliver anything but research-based talks. Yeah, quite incredible. And she and she's she's changing lives also, not just for 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 research or for just social work. You know, in in business, her vulnerability at the workplace angle was was a game changer. You know, I loved reading Dare, Daring to Lead, and. Oh, that was amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think um, in some ways to to challenge young people, to challenge early career researchers and to challenge young professionals to not feel stuck, but to constantly be seeing their skill set and experience, no matter what level of the whatever corporate ladder or the ladder <laughs> that they may feel on or be on but to really see their their time as valuable because they're constantly gaining experience they're learning from what they're doing and if if a person can transfer those skills mm. it can be a profitable and fulfilling career doesn't mean you will be you know a multi-millionaire but it does mean that you are a lot more in charge and in, in a lot more you're empowered to not be stuck in a job for 10 years but that you can use the job you're in and I know many people who are frustrated in their jobs and um, feel stuck but actually they're learning so much from what they're doing and so to see those moments, um, if you've ever spoken to a person who's done their financial articles or legal articles, you'll know. No one wants to be stuck at the bottom. <laughs> but but there's, there's valuable lessons to be learned in those early years where if you start to see a gap in the market, why not learn the lessons from those who've gone before you? And the best place to do that actually is from from below, from following, you know, um, and it has, it's taken me maybe eight years of working and being out of high school, I guess, to see the value of time spent in a profession. So, I mean, I can share my one example of my, a dream job that I would have applied for, um, straight out of varsity, I would never have been given a callback for because I don't, I didn't have the experience yet. In my mind, I was fresh and ready. I was out of varsity. I was qualified. Um, but actually, although a degree is necessary and helpful, it's not the be all and end all of what creates opportunity. And so my next point to introduce to this conversation would actually be the value of networking and how important it is, no matter what career and research is one of those careers where you really do need to be seen and out there. You need to be talking and to people and asking questions, um, just waiting at home or, you know, 
going day by day without engaging with your sector doesn't get you higher up. It doesn't grow you. It doesn't grow your career progression, whatever higher up means for you. Um, and so that I think is also a real challenge to people because it is scary and it does require you to put yourself out there. And maybe I jump back to one of your previous questions about like what kind of person or personality should go into research. I don't know if um, like a networker is, is a personality type but I feel like no matter what career you're in being in touch with your sector being in touch with your industry does actually matter and you can learn so much by tagging along to those really boring meetings that no one wants to go to or putting your hand up to write the blog column for your firm that month or even though there's absolutely no repayment to this, you will not get an increase for that. <laughs> you, you know, there's no um, direct financial benefit to, I don't know, dropping off municipal papers at the municipality because they have to go in. However, you do learn by doing those tasks that maybe seem menial at the time. You do learn the way that systems work. You meet people, um, you start to understand the way that your industry works. And in those moments, I think that's where the entrepreneurial side of people should start to ignite. Um, and again, the research side of people could also ignite. And we start to see the daily functions of work as something that we can measure and monitor, but that we can also improve and advocate for. Mm, mm. No, Jess, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> many, many cool points there. You know, I you even touched on networking, which was my next question. And um, maybe just to talk about mentorship, uh, have you ever had a mentor? Uh, what has been your experience with finding a mentor and how did you go about it? Sure. I'm incredibly passionate about this topic. And in some ways, it links quite closely to the idea of networking, because until you know who's in your sector, who are the movers and shakers, it's sometimes hard to find a mentor, um, a, a career specific mentor. And throughout my life, I've had different mentors in various spheres of my life. I feel very grateful for that. Um, and I must admit that finding a mentor should be an intentional thing. It should be something that, that young people pursue because we can learn so much from, as I said, the people who have gone before us. And that means when you're at a conference, when you're at those, those boring meetings I mentioned that you have to drag along to, or when you attend a press conference or whatever the case may be, constantly as a young early career professional we should be asking ourselves who is making waves in this room or who am I connecting with um, on various levels but who do I want to learn from and sometimes those people are somewhat out of reach maybe you know it's a the CEO of a company but if you work your way around the people they're around to the people they're around it's always very interesting to me to see how open mentors and sort of the older generation actually are to investing into 
what you're up to. So I've had leadership mentors over the years, which have always encouraged me a lot more, I suppose, in my personal development than in my career development. But recently, I'd say in the last five or so years, I had um, a wonderful experience of joining a research team where a, a, an amazing researcher sort of took me under her wing and showed me the ropes. And I, I started out just doing all the grunt work of all the data capturing and oh, oh like <laughs> all the all the um, reference checking and the the painful <laughs> the painful work of research um but i got my name on one of her articles and that was an amazing like moment because well and process because not only did i learn about the hard work but she brought me in on a lot of the conversations that go into what it takes to publish an article which could be a whole podcast in and of itself yeah but as of yesterday i officially have my first publication as first author oh, wow. and i'll very yeah i'll very proudly share this with you because i feel that it is a it is a direct impact and result of mentorship because i got to see it being done then i got to improve the way that it was done my into my own style and um, that mentor was on my research team <laughs> this time round, and um, and in many ways I, I would I would have a shout out to that because I think it takes a lot of um, humility to let young people lead, and I was so great grateful um, that she was so gracious to let me to let me try, and we got published. So as of yesterday, yeah. 12th of October, um, first first publication as first author in an international journal. And I feel oh, wow. really privileged about that because as a researcher, as I'm building my I'm building my ladder. Um, and it's it doesn't it doesn't increase my bank account, but it does it does increase my my scope and my impact. And all of a sudden I have something on my CV which someone led me to do in terms of a mentor so and I never really asked her to mentor me like it wasn't as formal of a conversation as that but I did avail myself often and I did utilize when she did make opportunities for me to ask questions and be involved I didn't shy away from being involved with what she was up to and I think that's an important lesson for young people is to really see mentorship as a learning experience. I've also had mentors, some that are disappointing, you know, that you, you set up a relationship and they can't, they're always really busy <laughs> or mentorship experiences where in some ways there's an agenda, you know, on both sides. And that is a reality um, of life, I suppose. And again, I, I'll learn. And um, it makes me a better mentor for younger people coming in under me. And it also allows me to see management and supervision for what it really is, um, which is sometimes a hard conversation. So, yeah. Those were those are all brilliant points, Jessica, you know, and uh, I think there's a lot to learn and to dissect from a lot of things you just stated. Um, but maybe just as a last question from me, 
Uh, what's your long-term plan? Sure, good question. Um, who knows what is happening in the world <laughs> is, is my response to you. Um, so I think what 2020 has really taught us is that, well, us and I mean the world, the society, is that we can make our plans, but you know, who actually knows what will happen. And, and we have to actually be really open to change. So I love research. I'm very passionate about it. I'm currently pursuing my PhD. So that's very much in the plan. Um, yeah. But I also do feel very um, driven to contribute and impact a sector that I believe in. So the early childhood development world is kind of where I've positioned my social work interest and so long term I would like to continue to bridge the gap between what's happening on the ground and what's happening in academia so to still keep researching but to be active and prominent um, in what's happening in a sector that really does need leadership so that's quite vague <laughs> we will see um, yeah. As we watch, as I watch the way that the sector changes and moves, and I yeah. think that would be my, like there is a plan, and I can make my plans, but I'm also very aware that opportunities present themselves, and and that's where my podcast was also not really part of the plan, but it's become such a valuable platform for me and the people that I'm around that. Um, who knows what will happen with that. So a lot of what I'm up to and where I see myself going is to grow, to grow the kind of interests I have, but to also utilize the platforms I have yeah. better. So no, that's, we'll see, I, watch the space. <laughs> that, that's beautiful. Uh, just, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow, Jonathan, what, what an awesome episode. I think, you know, straight off the bat, I really like that uh, we had somebody on the show who's completely in another sphere or industry altogether, um, social work. So I think, yeah, be before, we, before we go into some of the themes, what were your thoughts initially on, on the social work industry um, as a whole post this episode? Did, did this actually change your mind about how you viewed it? Uh, yes, it did. And... Uh, thanks, Janiel. It really enlightened me on, you know, just understanding uh, an industry or a career field, which is quite an important on the African continent. You know, the amount of money that comes in through donors on the African continent, you know, and sort of like monitoring and evaluation of that money, whether it was a positive or a negative return on investment, and the complexity of, of monitoring with the uh, a million rand that has been put on keeping children in schools has actualized. You know, how do you even measure that? You know, so a very eye-opening episode, very interesting, uh, and I, I think would would be very helpful for someone who's considering this space. What were your thoughts, Chanel? Yeah, so so I think the the first point you've you've touched on there is that my eyes were open to the research component of um, social social work, you know, I, I found that problem very interesting to say, how do we create KPIs? How do we measure and how do we assess a return on investment from a monetary perspective, but then also from a, 
um, you know, a qualitative perspective as well to say like, how many people did it impact and, and how do we like attach figures to these different things? So yeah. I think those, those elements were extremely interesting for me. And, but, but I guess I still, you know, the, the question's still there. You do want to get, well, at least for me personally, I still do want to get paid a lot. So I, I have the interest in the actual work, but I think if, and, and that's why it's such a great problem because like she was saying, it, it, um, it really creates entrepreneurial mindsets is that how do we figure out a way to start earning a lot or creating a business that is sustainable within the space? Yes. Yes. And I think that was your, your, it's an important point you're talking about right now, Shanil, because, because as much as you, you want to have an impact, you also want to have financial return for whatever financial obligations you, you, may, you may have in your life. But what I really loved was when we identified the skill set of, you know, how do you monetize your career? I thought that was an interesting question, Shanil, because that, that's a question we have been, you know, thinking about and grappling with, with our with our own social enterprise startup, YP Africa, you know, how do we monetize? How do we make it more sustainable? I found it very interesting that there are people that are learning that skill set within their own careers, you know, because as a social worker, as a researcher, you need to think, how are you going to monetize? You know, how are you going to actualize those financial goals that you see for yourself in the future? Yeah, and, and I think that's very important because she's, she's essentially building a very transferable skill, right? So if she ever did decide to go into corporate or to somewhere else, being able to, I, I guess, putting it bluntly, being able to hustle is a huge, huge transferable skill. Understanding these, these business or seeing these business opportunities and being able to act on it in a creative way is, is phenomenal. So, so that's a really important skill that I think they're building within that sector. Hmm. And maybe, Shanil, just the overall theme of, I think transferable skills, you know, how did that play out for you? And, you know, how did you uh, see that? Yeah. So, so I think the overall theme there was, and, and that's why even though it's a complete different industry, it was very applicable to, to my career as well. Cause I know we, we often speak about the specialist generalist in consulting yeah. um, and that's sort of the way that things are going now. And, and what that essentially means is, you need to be able to at least understand to a certain level different parts of the business and um, understand, you know, what's happening around you. And that's what we mean by specialist generalists, understanding these different components. And yes, you, you will eventually, I guess, specialize in one thing, but you still need this broader understanding. And I completely agree with what she said. Uh, you know, the best way for me as well that I've been um, sort of trying to achieve this goal is by putting up my hand all the time. So yes, there's no, you, you don't get promoted every time you pick up your hand, right? But you really learn about the business and the opportunities and the networking that I've sort of made by just putting up my hand within my own profession mm. has really helped. Me. And I can see that that's something that, that she does as well. And that's been happening in her industry. Yeah, yeah. And Shinyo, great, great point. Fantastic point. And maybe just to, to add on, uh, the misconception that research is almost like a se separate to, you know, business and corporate. Often you see people asking people that are starting their PhDs, you're like, oh, you're starting to, you're studying too far. And, you know, that misconception tends to also like carry through in the market also, like, you know, is he overqualified? 
but I think in the global market, that value of that research skill is, 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 is a lot more valued. You know, organizations like the World Bank hire people straight from PhD without work experience, you know, because they value that research element in, 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 in their operations. And you're finding more and more companies starting to do that, you know. Uh, I think if you applied for a consultant, McKinsey, for example, you know, you can apply specifically to just be in the research component of that organization. You know, so I think the value of research has also grown uh, now more than ever before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think being able to deep dive and unpack data um, and, and, you know, that, that probably has a lot to do with the era that we're in, where there's a lot of false data um, and, and a lot of ways to manipulate data. So having somebody on board that's able to sort of, um, you know, I, I think there's a good book about it. it. It's called Think Fast and Slow, something like that. Um, you know, being able to sort of unearth these biases in the data, um, take a deep dive, understand what's objective, understand what's true, and then making concrete data-driven decisions is, is something that becomes essential for, for organizations. And as you said, you know, the World Bank is, is a very, very reputable organization. And for them to be considering that means that I think other organizations can take a page out of the book and say, well, obviously there's some value to hiring mm. a PhD straight out of varsity because mm. there's definitely some value in, in the research component. Yeah, no, but definitely an eye-opening episode for me, Shanil. Uh, greater insight on not only social work, but research as a whole. Is, maybe in conclusion, is there anything else that stood out for you in this interview? Yeah, I think, you know, my, my last point to, to end off, which I also really enjoyed and I've seen with some of my peers and, and other people around me is that she made a good point that, you know, maybe you were forced to study a particular degree um, because of your parents or because of a bursary or because of whatever else it was. Yeah. But you don't need to stay that way. You don't need to have a linear career path. Yeah. Once you've got your degree, find a way to build transferable skills and pivot into the career that you really want to do. So really don't, don't surrender that part of your life. Don't say because I did my three or four years in a particular field, I need to spend the next 40 years in the same field if you're unhappy. Um, that, that doesn't make sense, right? So, so it was a really good point, an obvious point, but I think it was really good that she, she brought it to light because we don't think about, you know, what, what are we, this is the next 40 years of my life. I need to be somewhere where I'm happy. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Young Professional African Edition. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Music, Spotify, or whatever platform that you use to listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a like and a follow. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at YP underscore Africa. That's YP underscore Africa. And if you've missed an episode, don't stress. You can catch up on our YouTube channel, YP underscore Africa. Like and subscribe, guys. Like and subscribe. That's it from us, guys. See you next week.